If you have your Bible at the ready, I pray that you do. If not, we'll be showing the verses up on the screen. But if you have your Bible with you, I encourage you to turn with me to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8 this morning in the precious Word of God. Last week, uh, we were all reminded... I'm going to lower this just a little bit. We were all reminded... uh, uh, individual and collective responsibilities as watchmen last week and the idea that we must uh, watch and warn. And uh, I would suggest, and you know, I was even encouraged on Wednesday night just to remind us that, you know, one of the ways you can warn people is invite them to church. You can say, hey, guess what? Uh, I go to a church where the pastor actually preaches God's Word. You can bring them to church. You know, I mean, I know it's a novel thought, uh, but anyway... I won't go there. Um, Anyway, it was a needful reminder, I believe, for all of us to actually uh, consider our role as time keeps on rolling along. Now, over the years, I'm going to kind of transition. Over the years, I feel like Battlefield Baptist Church has done a great job at communicating the necessity to believe, uh, the necessity to exercise faith when it comes to the gospel message. But honestly, I think that we need to keep on striving Keep on striving, that means that we keep on moving forward, keep on striving to do a better job when it comes to this issue of discipleship, and so hence the title of the message today, and quite honestly, discipleship is a never-ending process. It's the process of growing spiritually, day in and day out, and uh, the reality is that uh, uh, every one of us go through different seasons of discipleship in our life, and so I think we'll be able to learn some things this morning. And by the way, I would just say this, discipleship is not one single message. So if you're sitting there like, oh man, great, I'm going to get the process of discipleship down today. I'm going to walk out of Battlefield Baptist Church and boom, boom, I'm ready to go. Nope, nope, not one single message, not a series of lessons that are to be learned, although we learn through the process of life transformation. It's just not the case. Uh, that it would just be this one message. You know, someone has said that discipleship is a journey that we go through to become more like Jesus. It is a process through which every believer learns more about God and His Word and grows in spiritual maturity and making more disciples. The process of discipleship. Paul understood that it was vital for his success. He even wrote to the church at Rome, In Romans chapter 12 and verses 1 and 2, he put it this way. He said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. And he goes on and he says, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And then he continues on and he says, and be not conformed to this world, but here it comes, discipleship, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You see, to Paul, discipleship involved the process of being transformed by the renewing of his mind, and for Paul, the renewing of his mind, he understood that it could only come from God's Word. You see, a lot of people are looking for knowledge and looking for wisdom and a lot of different places, but if we're really going to understand what discipleship is all about, it comes from God's Word. In fact, throughout Jesus' earthly ministry, He sets forth a process of discipleship that included loving, He included showing and teaching and correcting and equipping people. And then guess what Jesus did? After He loved and after He showed and taught and corrected and, 
and one and on and on. Here's what he did. He sent them out. He said, guess what? I'm going to bring you through this process so that you might go out and duplicate, multiply, if you please. And so, again, this morning, I want us to look at Mark chapter 8, and I believe that Jesus sets forth this process in this passage, and uh, we'll look at it a little bit differently this morning, but I want you to start reading with me in verse 27. In verse 27, notice what the Word of God says. It says, And Jesus went out and His disciples into the towns of Caesarea Philippi, and by the way He asked His disciples, saying unto them, Who do men say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, but some say Elias, and others, one of the prophets. And he saith unto them, But whom say ye? In other words, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, Peter never short on answers. And Peter saith unto him, Thou art the Christ. And he charged them that they should tell no man. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he spake that saying openly, and Peter took him and began to rebuke him. But when he had turned about and looked on his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men." And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, and he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. For what, profit, for what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in glory of his Father with his holy angels. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the songs that we have sung that have reminded us of your authority. They have reminded us of your greatness. Lord, they have reminded us that without you we could do nothing. And so, Lord, I pray that today that you would open up the eyes of our understanding as we consider a few simple thoughts from your word today surrounding this process of discipleship. Lord, I pray that if there's somebody in this room or somebody that is watching that has never trusted Christ as their Savior, that today would be the day that they would realize that they need a Savior. Today would be the day that they call out upon the name of the Lord for the forgiveness of sin. Lord, I pray for those that are here that are believers, that we might be encouraged, that they might be encouraged, Lord, just to go through this process of discipleship day in and day out, understanding that you're in charge of each and every aspect of it. Lord, help us be willing to follow what your word has to say to us today. Lord, we'll be careful to give you the praise and the honor and the glory for all that you will do. For it's in Jesus' wonderful, masterful, and holy name that we do pray. And for His sake, amen. Well, again, as we get started, I I want you to see, I'm going to flip back over here. It's understand, it's vital for us to understand that this idea of discipleship or the process that God uses to bring about life transformation in our lives in order to mold us and to make us after His will 
into the likeness of his dear son is ongoing. It's a journey. Uh, anybody uh, up for a journey? You ready for a journey? I, I feel like 2020 is some kind of journey that I'd like to forget. But yet we went through it. And now here we sit in 2021. I'm ready for a good journey. And discipleship is a great journey. In fact, you think about it like this. If you want to think about our spiritual journey like this, first of all, I don't know if they have it, but think about it like this. Justification is the act whereby God declares us righteous. You could see it on the screen. It's the act whereby God declares us righteous. The idea that you and I are saved from the penalty of sin. That's speaking about our position in Jesus Christ as believers. Then you think about sanctification. I know there's guys on all kinds of sides of this discussion about sanctification. I've heard pastors say there is no such thing as sanctification. Well, let me just tell you, you can come in and uh, you say, man, I'm the worst sinner of all. Well, Paul thought he was the worst sinner of all, first of all. But you can come in and say, man, I'm just spiritually undone. And God will save your soul, but he doesn't want you to stay right there. He wants you to be growing. That's the process of sanctification. It speaks of, our, uh, of where it's the process where God makes us righteous. The idea that you and I are saved from the power of sin. It's speaking of our condition. That ongoing condition of being coming more and more like Jesus Christ. And then the idea of glorification. The act whereby God keeps us righteous. Amen? One day, you and I are going to be away from the presence of sin. What, that is a hallelujah. I mean, we ought to have a hallelujah chorus just thinking about one day that God is going to say, you know what? Enough is enough. No more sin. And man, what a wonderful day that'll be. Oh, it's going to be a great day. No more lies. No more death. No more crying. No more sorrow. No more pain. No more hurt. No more angry people in the shopping mall. No more angry drivers on I-66. And such were some of you. Oh, it speaks of our expectation in Christ Jesus. Now, with this in mind, go back. I want you to go back to Mark chapter 8, but I want you to look back at verse 22 because I want to set up some context for us. And, and so Jesus has already uh, fed the multitude and, and beginning in verse number 22, uh, we see how... Uh, Jesus, after his arrival to Bethsaida, there's a group of people that bring a blind man to Jesus. And so if you know this passage in verse 22 to 26, Jesus takes the guy, they bring him to Jesus in the town of Bethsaida. Jesus says, come on. And he takes him by the hand and he leads him out of the town and he spits. And I mean, I know you guys are thinking that's offensive, that's gross and everything, but it is Jesus, right? So that's good spit. And uh, and, and he spits and he puts his hands on. He says, can you see? And the guy says, I see, I see trees that are moving like men. And Jesus touches him again. And you know the rest of the story that he is restored and he has his sight. And now a little fun fact for you. Uh, Jesus tells the man, he says, don't return home. And by the way, don't go tell anybody else. And I was asking Colby the other day. I said, man, I got a fun fact trivia question for you. I said, how does this man know how to get home? I said, his friends brought him to Bethsaida. Jesus let him out of the town. The man's all confused. And then Jesus says, go home, don't tell anybody. Anyway, you can think about that the rest of the day. And so then we see, as we've already read, that Jesus and his disciples, they go out into all the towns in Caesarea Philippi. 
And they're visiting all kinds of places. And Jesus turns to them, look down at verse 27. He turns to his disciples. He says, hey, who do men or who do the other people say that I am? And there he is. We knew we could count on him. Peter. He says, uh, he says well, let's, let's think about this. And immediately in verse 28, not only Peter, but we see all the disciples. All the disciples chime in and they say, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say Elias. Others say one of the prophets and, and all these things. And, and Jesus turns literally about 30 seconds later, if we're, if we're adding up the time, it's probably about 30 seconds, Jesus turns and says, but now who do you say I am? I, I asked you what everybody else is saying, but now I want to know you as my closest followers, Battlefield Baptist Church. Uh-oh. Jesus is asking the question this morning. He's asking the question of me. He's asking the question of you. Who do you say I am? Notice there. This is what he says in verse 29. And then immediately, Peter, bless his heart, Peter says, thou art the Christ. He says, you're God. You're the Messiah. You're the one. You're the only. You're the one that we've hoped for. You're the one that we've prayed for. This is who we believe that you are. And immediately, look, Jesus says in verse 30, he charges them that they should tell no one. If you go to Matthew's gospel in Matthew chapter 16 and verse number 17, Jesus actually commends Peter. He said, Blessed art thou, Simon bar Jonah, for flesh and blood have not revealed it, but my Father which is in heaven. And then if you go back to verse number 31 of our text, we see that Jesus begins teaching them about what's going to happen. Notice again, he says, the Son of Man must suffer. The Son of Man must be rejected of the elders. The Son of Man is going to be killed. And then the Son of Man is going to rise again three days later. We're getting ready to celebrate Easter. Man, I'm so thankful that Jesus arose from the grave. Man, am I thankful. Guess what? We got hope plastered on the wall. The only reason we have hope is because Jesus rose again. Oh, what a wonderful Savior. But obviously... When Jesus says, hey, I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be rejected to the elders. I'm going to be killed. All these things are going to take place. That doesn't go over well. That doesn't play well in the group with his disciples. But I believe that we can see four things from the next few verses of Scripture. I believe that we could see four things that our Lord and Savior uses in the process of discipleship. And by the way, I would suggest he still uses these things today. And so I want us to notice them. First of all, I, I believe that he uses the tool of filtering, the idea of refining us. Or last week, you remember I mentioned I had heard, heard a guy on the radio, he was talking about the idea of sifting. He uses this, this tool of filtering, if you please, much like an oil filter, a coffee filter, or this small filter that surrounds this, these tea leaves. You see, the idea or the process of filtering is this. The process includes the idea of allowing the good things, watch it, allowing the good things to filter through while holding back the bad things. Do you know I believe Jesus does that in the process of discipleship in every one of our lives? Sometimes He's just got to get out the old filter. Hey, who here says I need to be filtered? Say it. I yeah, I heard all the women saying I need to be filtered. <laughs> Did y'all catch that online? It was all the women saying it. How many men need to be filtered here today? How many, hey, I know I'm going to offend them. How many young people need to be filtered? 
I got you, bro. <laughs> He's like, bruh, that's awesome. I got one honest dude up here. He's like, He's like, it's like, it's like the Baptist uh, volunteering for a job. Yes, Pastor, I'll, I'll cut the grass. By the way, we got the, hey, Larry, here's a perfect opportunity. Sign up for the mowing team after service, amen? Over at the welcome window, your friendly uh, helper, uh, Larry Owens, will be there to help you sign up. All right, I appreciate that. We all need to be filtered, don't we? This is what's taking place here. You see, the point of filtering is allowing good things to pass through while holding back bad things. As Christ followers, i.e. disciples, God is going to filter or sift or refine our lives according to His Word and according to His will and according to His ways. It doesn't matter who we are. It doesn't matter uh, where we've come from, how great we think we are. There's going to be times when God says, you know what, i got to separate some things out of your life, Greg Corcoran. I got to get rid of some of those things, some of that stinking thinking that you're walking around with. I got to filter it out because that has no place in my kingdom. That's called the process of discipleship. And every one of us go through it. Look at verse number 32. The Bible says that Jesus speaks openly about what's going to happen to him. And this is where I see the filtering process start to take place. He's saying, guys, I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to die. And as he's saying this, I can almost feel just like you and I think about, man, would it have been amazing if Jesus didn't have to die? And yet he did. He had to die for the sin of the world. Jesus wanted to make something clear here in this passage. He wanted his disciples to know that what they and what everybody else was expecting to happen wasn't going to be the case. You know, to be honest, there's no way as a young Jewish follower at that point in time that they, have would have, that they would have thought or that they have would have wanted their Messiah to come to them and say, guess what, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to be rejected, and I'm going to die. You see, the Jewish people at that time, they were hoping for a conquering king. They were, hoping that, they were hoping for a savior that would come and squash Rome. They were hoping for a savior that would establish their greatness as Jewish people. They were hoping for a savior that would bring them all kind of wealth and happiness so that they could live fat and happy. And Jesus said, that's not me. That's not why I've come. Oh, listen, don't be misunderstood. Jesus wanted to make sure that they not only heard the truth in verse 31, loudly and clearly, but he wanted to make sure that they understood, that they understood the truth, that these things must happen, that these things were all a part of God's plan. This was no, no time for misunderstandings. By the way, I'll just say this, the truth of this book is going to filter some things in our lives. It has a way of filtering some things. And that's why, I'll be honest with you, that's why I think a lot of people kind of, well, I'm not, that, mm, that hurt. So what we do is we close, we close God's Word Monday through Saturday. And we let our toes have some room to wiggle and say, well, that hurt my toes. You know, pastor's talking about discipleship and he's talking about watching and warning. So I'm just going to uh, put God's Word over here on the shelf for a while. I got news for you. You need God's Word. I need God's Word. It's a filtering process that each and every one of us need. Oh, yes. 
This book has a way of filtering out the bad stuff. It has a way of filtering the hurtful stuff, the angry stuff. Anybody got some angry stuff going on in your life? Thank you, Yvonne. One lady said she got some angry stuff, and I bet it has to do with Chuck. <laughs> Probably Chuck's fault. Y'all pray for Yvonne. She's got to live with Chuck. No, I'm just teasing <laughs> Chuck. Chuck's like, don't pick on me. Anybody got some hurtful stuff going on in your life today? Hey, here's one. Anybody got some fearful stuff going on in your life today? Hello, COVID-19. I'm not fearful. Is that right? I feel like I see a lot of people acting fearful. And I'm not trying to be ugly or hurtful. I'm just saying that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. Listen, I was talking to somebody the other day. Listen, COVID ain't no joke. So let me just preface that. It ain't no joke. We've had loved ones pass away from COVID. We've had family members pass away from COVID. But guess what? As for me and my house, I'm going to ride with Jesus. That doesn't mean I'm going to be stupid. You see me wearing my mask. I, hey, by the way, thank you for being smart when we're here in God's house. Thank you for protecting people. Thank you for, for being smart. The Lord has protected us since last June. Do you know that next Sunday, next Sunday is one year ago that we had our last Sunday service before we had to curtail for a little while. It ain't no joke. I appreciate your patience. I appreciate your wherewithal to be smart, to socially distance and to do those things. Do I agree with everything that's being said or done? Do I agree with everything? Absolutely not. But you know who I do agree with? I agree with Jesus. And I think he cares about you. And I think he cares about the well-being of his flock. And so I thank you for being smart. That's a mini message. I'm sure everyone would agree that there are times when our hearts and our minds and our thinking must be filtered. The writer of Hebrews conveys this message in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. It says, for the word of God is quick. That word quick means it's alive. It's a living thing. And the Bible says that it will endure forever. It says it is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit. That word piercing means penetrating penetrating and of the joints and a marrow and is a discerner or a judge, if you please, of our thoughts and our intents of our little old heart. Oh yes, God's Word is what He uses to cause us to, 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 to filter out some of the things that don't need to be there. I tell everybody, listen, if you struggle with stinking thinking, you need to memorize Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 8. In Philippians 4, 8, the Bible simply tells us, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, the Bible says think on those things. Quit thinking on all the negative Nancy things. And if your name's Nancy, I'm sorry. I mean no, I mean no ill will. Please forgive me. But we got to get our heads away from the negative things of, uh, of this world and start focusing on the biblical things of God. 
Psalm 119 and verse number 11, the Bible says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Psalm 119, 104. I added 104 because typically we just read 105, but listen to 104. Verse 104 says, Through thy precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Think about what Jesus was saying to those Jewish people that had believed on him. Over in John chapter 8, there was, there was some Jews that had actually placed their faith in Jesus. And in John chapter 8 and verse number 31, here's what Jesus says. He says, if you continue in my word, then ye are my, dis my disciples indeed. You see, the word is what filters. The word is what God uses in this process of discipleship. God knows about every one of our circumstances. He knows about your circumstances this morning, sir, ma'am, young person. He knows whether you're angry. He knows whether you're hurting. He knows whether you're sad, whether you're glad, whether whatever it is that's going on in your life and in the surrounding circumstances of your life, they're not out of His control, by the way. He has all authority, as we were reminded. He's keenly aware of every struggle, circumstance, or everything we face. That's why sometimes He has to apply the filtering process to our life. Secondly, I think we see the repair of alignment, the repair of alignment. Uh, now, let me ask this question. Have you ever driven a car when the suspension is out of alignment? I have. I mean, I remember years ago when I was just a young gun and, and I really didn't know what was going on with the car, but I didn't have sense enough to stop and figure out what was going on. I'm turning the wheel this way and the car's trying to go this way. And, and it's not just about a tire needing to be uh, uh, balanced or or uh, the wheels needing an adjustment, but when the entire system that connects the car with the wheels is out of alignment, you're in trouble. You get where I'm going with this? When, when the entire system that connects the car with the wheels is out of alignment, you need an adjustment. And that's what I see taking place in this passage. You see, I think sometimes that's how we are spiritually. And I believe that there are times when either the Lord puts or He allows difficult situations in our life just to see if we're still in alignment. He's like, I want to find out if you're still in alignment today. And so guess what? Let's, let's have a test time. I've told you many times that I used to pray all the time for patience. And after I failed that test over and over and over and over again, I decided to start praying for something else. I was like, God just seems to give me all these things to test my patience. Maybe if I pray for something else, then maybe I'll pass that exam. Do you know that I think sometimes God runs that filter through us, runs us through the filter, so to speak, and then he says, let me double check and make sure you're still in alignment. Make sure your heart is still focused on where it needs to be focused on. Let me make sure that you're still walking with me and not walking according to the world, the flesh, and the devil. You know what happens if we're out of alignment? Just what he did with Peter. He brings us into his shop for a realignment job. He's the great physician, but I, I, I jokingly said the other day, he's also the great mechanic. He brings us in for a realignment. 
And notice in verse number 32, right after Jesus tells his disciples that he's going to suffer, that he's going to be rejected and die, notice Peter took him and began to rebuke him. Uh, what? Hold on a second. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't we just read where Peter said, when Jesus said, but who do you say that I am? Peter said, thou art the Christ. We believe you're God. So what right do you think you have now to go rebuke God? And yet, isn't that what we do sometimes? Isn't that what we do sometimes by our actions? Now, a lot of people say, well, Satan had taken control of Peter. That's why Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. That's exactly what Satan does with us sometimes. But I would just suggest that Peter was focusing on what man wanted rather than what God wanted. It's amazing for me to see how quickly Peter goes from declaring Jesus to be the Christ to now trying to rebuke the Christ. In all fairness, before we all, all of us spiritual people pile on to Peter, I believe Peter was doing it out of love. You say, what? I, be I believe Peter was like, no, Lord, there's no way. You remember? You remember? I'll never deny you. You remember? She said, you're going to deny me three times. No way, Lord. There's no way I'm going to deny you. Here, I believe that Peter, out of his love and his commitment to Jesus, is saying, hey, that ain't going to happen. You see us? You see how strong we are? We'll take anybody down. Somebody tries to take our Lord, we'll, we'll, we'll take them down. I believe he says it out of love. But Jesus says, listen, Peter. He says, you're savoring the things of this world and not the things of God. You're, you're focused on what, what you think should happen. And what I'm trying to tell you is what has to happen. Do you know the same is true in our lives? There are some things that we go through. They're not fun. And I'll just be honest. I wish we could get away from them. But sometimes we have to understand that God is the one who is, who is running us through this repair of alignment. Sometimes, like Peter, we want the things of man instead of the things of God. But Jesus was saying, hey, listen, guys, I'm not a temporary king. I'm not the guy that you've been praying for to come and destroy the Romans and set you up with all your affluency and all your, all your wealth and health and happiness. That's not why I've come. I've come to set the captive free for all eternity. Jesus said, I'm not a temporary king. I'm the king of all kings. You guys have to understand the process that's required. One minute Peter is rightly declaring who Jesus is, and the next he's being rebuked. This tells me that discipleship is a minute-by-minute, day-after-day thing. You say, how do you get that? Well, because 30 seconds before he said, you're the Christ, and then 30 seconds later, Jesus is rebuking him. He went from here, you know, the old phrase, hero to zero. He went from here to here real quick. Through His Word, God continually teaches us about realignment. I put in my notes the idea or concept, this idea of realignment is the idea or concept of moving further and further away from the things that we used to think were important and drawing us closer and closer to the image of God's dear Son. Discipleship includes God filtering and realigning. Number three, in connection with His realignment, I see Jesus introducing a reminder of influence. Look at verse number 33. 
Peter rebukes Jesus in verse 32, and then in verse 33, notice what happens. But when he had turned and looked on his disciples. So after Peter says, he says, oh, that ain't going to happen, Jesus. We're going to take care of it. There's no way this is going to happen. Jesus, notice his first response. He doesn't look at Peter. He turns and he looks at the other disciples. He's trying to see if they have been influenced. And since he knows their heart, he understands that Peter's words have influenced them because guess what? I'm assuming that when he turned and he looked, they're like, yeah, yeah, we'll take people down. And you know what Jesus says? I got to nip it in the bud. He says, ain't going to happen. I got I to nip it. I got to nip it. So guess what he does? He turns and he rebukes Peter. And although we understand that Peter's misguided in his rebuke of Jesus, I really think he's trying to show his love and his commitment. But as soon as Jesus recognizes that Peter is, is influencing the others in a way that's not biblical, Jesus says, guess what? I have to take this matter and deal with it. Sometimes I'm afraid we get so concerned in our own lives with what we think, what we believe, or what we want, or what we think we know rather than what God's Word has to say, that our circle of influence suffers drastically. You say, sometimes you're in the workplace, and I've been there, done this. You're in the workplace, and you're telling people all the things that you think you know. You're telling people uh, the world according to fill in the blank, uh, what I believe, what I want. And you have to be careful. Make sure if you're going to share in the workplace, the marketplace, your neighborhood, or with your family, if you're sharing what you think you believe, please, 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 I beg you to make sure what you're spouting is God's Word, not your Word. Don't, don't supplant your Word for God's Word. If you're going to share what you think, what, what you believe with anybody, make sure you're sharing truth with people. Because see, in the moment that our influence suffers, guess what suffers? God's name, God's glory, God's honor. It suffers. I put down in my notes, in reality, when you and I live out of alignment with the Word of God, we can unintentionally sometimes, and I put that word in there on purpose, sometimes we can unintentionally draw people further and further away from Christ instead of closer to Him. I'm not saying we go out with malice to do it, but unintentionally, I don't think Peter was intent on drawing the disciples further away from Christ. I believe he does this out of his love and his loyalty and his commitment to Christ. But when Jesus turns and he looks at the disciples and he sees that they're being influenced by something that's not biblical, by something that's not God's word, he has to deal with it right then and there. And you know, the same is true with your life and my life. That's why the Bible tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 22 that you and I too are abstained from all appearance of evil. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 6 reminds us, for whom the Lord loves, He chastens. That word chastens means discipline. Oh, my friends, God will rebuke us when necessary. Anybody, and, and you don't have to raise your hands, but you can do an, a holy oh my. Anybody ever been rebuked by God? Mmm. 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 Ha have you ever been rebuked uh, more than once in one day? Mmm. And you make all these bad noises. Oh, what happened? I started out the day good, and by noon I was being rebuked. That's the process of discipleship. When God sees that something is wrong in our life, 
when we're influencing people with wrong motives or the wrong message, he will rebuke. Remember, we're salt and light. We need to make sure we're pointing people to Jesus. And then the last thing I see is in this quick message, the process of discipleship, I see the Lord asking a question. He's asking a question of allegiance. Notice in verse 34 and following, notice what the Bible says. It says, when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, now notice, I love the word whosoever. By the way, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So here we see Jesus using the same terminology. He says, whosoever will come after me. It's not an exclusive group. It's an inclusive group. It's an exclusive message. But he says, whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Verse 35, for whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. Look at verse 36. For what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Don't misjudge. Don't take that, that verse out of context, please. Uh, listen, it's a great soul winning verse, but it's, you got to see it in the context of discipleship here. He says, or, or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Look at verse 38. Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in glory of his Father and with the holy angels. Jesus was then and he is now today on March the 7th, 2021, essentially asking you and I just as he asked his disciples then, guys, whose life do you want to live? Mine or yours? Whose life do you want to live? Do you want to live my life or do you want to live yours? It's a question of allegiance. Where's your allegiance? He's saying, guys, is your allegiance in yourself or is, in your, is your allegiance in me? By the way, our biggest battle for allegiance, I heard somebody else putting it this way. Our biggest battle for allegiance isn't against some golden calf in our life. The biggest battle for allegiance isn't against some golden calf in our lives, the idea of our work. Uh, sports or the kids' schedule or our hobbies, our habits or our hang-ups. That's not the biggest battle of allegiance. The biggest battle for allegiance in our lives is the battle between me and Jesus. You see, because I'm either on the throne of my heart or He is. You say, well, I like this. It's not me, but it's this. No, that means you're on the throne of your own heart. You've determined that what you want is greater than what He wants. That's the question of allegiance. You see, every single day in this process of discipleship, we're going to have to answer the question. Yeah, I, I had to answer the question this morning. I had to answer the question real early this morning when I got up. I've told you sometimes you get up and you just don't feel like declaring the Word of God. But some, I, that wasn't this morning. I was excited. But I had to get up this morning. I had to answer the question. Am I going to live the life that God wants me to live or am I going to live the life that I want to live? They should be consistent, by the way. Who's going to be the master of my life today is the question that we must answer. Am I going to allow Jesus to work in and through me today? Or am I going to fight him at every step of the way? Am I going to fight him, fight him, fight him? Or am I going to let him have his will and way? Oh, listen, when it comes to discipleship, our Lord is asking each and every one of us, who do you 
really love. And that's what he was saying to the people and the disciples then. He says, listen, if any man's going to come after me, he's going to have to deny himself. He's going to have to pick up his cross. He's going to have to follow me. For what shall a man gain? If, if he gained the whole world and lose his own soul, he said if he, if he gains the world for his own sake, guess what? He loses it. But if he'll lose his life for my sake, he'll, he'll gain it. And so the way that he was teaching was very backward from the way that the world was teaching. And the same is true today. Honestly, folks, I don't know about you, but we have been so, so blessed. Ephesians 1 in verse number 3 says that we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2 in verse number 10 says that you and I are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. What an amazing... In, in other words, I shared that phrase with you a couple weeks ago, reminding every one of us that we are His masterpiece. You are His masterpiece. You are perfect. God has created you that way. As believers, the great news of Philippians 1.6 tells us this, that you and I, that we can all be confident of this very thing, that He which has begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. You're not on your own. You don't have to go through the process of your own. He's with you every step of the way. All authority has been given to Him in heaven and in earth. Guess what? He said it. That settles it. I love that phrase. When God says it, that settles it. I don't need to question it because it's true. Well, I'm going to do my study. Well, be like a Berean. Do your study. But like I was saying Wednesday night to our Wednesday night crowd, any honest, intentional investigation of God's Word will prove that it is all truth. Any Watch it. Any honest, intentional investigation of God's Word will be, true, will be proven that His Word is true. Well, I looked at it, I don't believe it. Have you done an honest investigation, intentional investigation of God's Word? Well, I pray that each and every one of you know Jesus as Lord and Savior. If you're here and you don't know Him, I beg you to trust Him right now. We don't even need music uh, to start yet. Uh, you could just trust Him right now. You say, what do I do? You call out upon the name of the Lord and ask Him to forgive you. You're watching online. You're sitting at home. Listen, we're looking forward to seeing many of our church family as soon as they're able to be back. But if you're at home and you've never trusted Christ, we've got people watching all around the world. I beg you right now, call out upon the name of the Lord for the forgiveness of sins. Receive Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life. If you're sitting here, you're at home, and you're already a believer, then I want to just encourage you to remember, discipleship is an ongoing process in your life and in my life throughout this journey of life. As believers, God's going to put us through that filter. Sometimes as believers, God's going to say, hey, Greggy boy, you're out of alignment. You see, because broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, but straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leads to life eternal. And guess what? He says, few there be that find it. He, so guess what? He says, i gotta, I got to realign you. i got to bring you back on the straight and narrow path. Not only does He filter and realign, but He reminds us the power of our influence is huge. The power of our influence is huge. You have no idea that circle of influence that you have. Oh, friends, point people to Jesus. And then each and every day, you'll get up tomorrow You'll get up tomorrow.
And I dare say you'll probably be saying, who's the boss today? Who do I love the most today? Do I love Jesus the most? Or do I love myself the most? These are all questions. These are all uh, uh, tools, if you please, that I believe our Lord uses in the process of discipleship. And I pray that each and every one of us be, would be willing, would be understanding, would be accepting of that process in order to bring Him the honor and the glory that He so richly deserves. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your love. We thank You for the opportunity to be in Your house today. And Lord, we ask that You separate out those things of our hearts and our minds that need to be done away with Lord, we ask You to help us to better understand this process, this process of filtering and realignment and influence and this process of understanding where our allegiance is, God, that we might not only better understand, but we would appreciate it and accept it. And all the tools, not just these, but all the tools that You use to bring about spiritual growth in our life. Lord, we want to bring You honor and glory. But Lord, we're like Peter. Sometimes we get it wrong. Lord, sometimes we look at what we want. Sometimes we look at what we think and what we believe that's inconsistent with You and Your Word. And Lord, sometimes You just have to get our attention. Sometimes You have to bring us back into alignment. Lord, I pray that You would do that. I pray that You would break our hearts for what breaks Yours. I pray that You would draw us closer to You. Lord, I pray that You would heal and help the brokenhearted this morning. Lord, there's those that are hurting. Those that have lost loved ones. Those that have been gone, that have gone through surgery procedures. Those that are at home recovering. Those that are about to go through procedures. Lord, those who are, who are working in, in strange circumstances. Lord, I pray that You'll do what's necessary to bring about the growth in our lives that you desire. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like more information about our ministry, check out our website at battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We'll see you next time.